The teams you care about. Mac Jones is good. That's not the question. The question is, is he good enough to win repeatedly in this loaded AFC? The stories that matter to you. If I'm Xander Bogarts, I need three things in order to get over that insulting contract offer. This is your home for New England sports. Jason Tatum, superstar. Book it. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show here on a Thursday on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show today, all 90 minutes up until 7 o'clock. Red Sox are off after having swept the Tigers, and now they head to Cleveland to take on a very, very hot Cleveland Guardians team. We'll talk Red Sox with Buster Olney of ESPN. He'll be with us at 545. You've heard me teasing the big guest, the possible in-studio surprise. It's not going to happen today. And I'm sorry if I got your hopes up and got everybody wondering. It's not going to happen today. We were efforting getting Amanda Pelkey in studio. She's a, you know, she's a Central Vermont native. She's a UVM product, an Olympic gold medalist. She is in the state of Vermont right now running her camps up in Burlington. She just couldn't make it in today. She wants to come in. We're working on it, you know, hopefully to happen next week. It just couldn't happen today. But, uh, you know, hey, that's life, right? We've got a full show. We hope Amanda can come in next week. We'll welcome her whenever she has time. But her camps right now, they're, they're the priority. So thought maybe we could swing it. But now we're leaning towards next week. Hopefully it can happen then full show all 90 minutes though we will talk about the celtics it's day it's the nba draft day some stuff on uvm ben shungu ryan davis their chances at the draft and their chances at the nba in general remember earlier this week when i was going after jake crane and what he said about jason tatum well i caught up with jake crane today and asked him to defend himself you'll hear part of that conversation also That'll be in the 6 o'clock hour. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. It's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and my Twitter account as well. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. With locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. So yesterday on the show, about 24 hours ago, we spoke with Tom Karen of Nesson, right? Red Sox insider at Nesson. We speak with him every Wednesday. So we talked a little bit about how Tanner Houck is still unvaccinated and can't go with the Red Sox to Toronto next week for that big series against the Blue Jays. Well, after we got off the air with TC, after we got off the air of the show yesterday, it was revealed that Jaron Duran also can't go to Toronto because he's also unvaccinated. And those are two big losses for the Red Sox going in to a huge series against a division rival and a team you are directly battling with right now for the top wildcard spot in the American League. Tanner Houck has emerged as your closer. He is now your stopper in the ninth inning. He is now solidified for now, at least the back end of your bullpen. And Duran has fit in very, very nicely as a fill-in for Kike Hernandez, hitting at the top of your order, hitting 297 through 10 games, had a two RBI double last night. 
He's got elite speed. I mean, did you see the first play of the game yesterday where he forces a gold glover and Javi Baez into a throwing air because his speed is just that good? Not having Hauk and not having Duran are two big losses next week. And I said this yesterday, and I fully mean it. I am COVIDed out. I am vaccined out. I personally am beyond the point now of judging people for not getting vaccinated. I just, I, I don't even want to talk about COVID anymore. I don't want to talk about it in my personal life. I don't want to talk about it at work. And I don't really want to talk about it on this show. That's just me. It may not be you. We're all going to get to that point in a different time period. I'm there now. I don't want to crush Hauk or Duran for not getting vaccinated, right? That's the easy answer. And that, to me, is the answer from six months ago. I am not interested in doing that today. It is their choice. I do respect their choice. I got vaccinated. I got boosted. That's cool. You don't. That, that's fine, too. I won't have a problem with you. That's just me. I won't have a problem with you. But I will say this. While I'm not judging Hauk and Duran for not getting vaccinated, I am surprised that two young players with so much on the line opted not to get vaccinated. This isn't Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts who are solidified. This isn't even Chris Sale who is solidified. This is two young players with a lot to lose. You look at Hauk. Hauk wasn't vaccinated the first time they went to Toronto, obviously. And as a result, Garrett Whitlock ends up in the rotation and he has stayed there. Tanner Houck lost his rotation spot. Make no mistake about it. Because the Red Sox had to shuffle their rotation the first time they went to Toronto, because Houck wasn't vaccinated, that is a large part why Whitlock went to the rotation and why he has stayed there. Tanner Houck's decision to not get vaccinated cost him a rotation spot. So him not being vaccinated has already hurt him professionally. Now he has worked his way back into good graces and found a role that's really meaningful for this team. I am shocked that as he has carved out that role, that here we are again, and he's still not vaccinated, and he's still got potentially something to lose. Now, I admit, I think his spot at the back end of the bullpen is largely safe, but do you even want to chance it if you're Tanner Houck? How do you know you don't go to Toronto and John Schreiber throws perfect ninth innings two days in a row, and now he's the guy for Alex Cora in the ninth? How do you not know that Hansel Robles gets the job again and strikes out Springer, Guerrero, and Bichette on consecutive days, and he doesn't get the closer's job back? I am not judging Tanner Houck for not being vaccinated. I am just surprised that somebody who's who's already lost something as a result of this decision. He lost his rotation spot. I'm surprised that he is still willing to put something professionally at risk for the sake of not being vaccinated. And as for Duran, his situation to me is far more tenuous. He is a call-up for Kike Hernandez. He is every day, I think, trying to make an impression that is good enough so that he can stay even when Kike comes back. There's probably not room on this team for both Duran and Rob Refsnyder when Kike and Arroyo come back. Like when Kike and Arroyo come back, there's not room for Refsnyder and Duran 
there might be room for one of them. Duran is locked in a constant battle trying to keep his spot in the major leagues. And now he's made it really, really easy for the Red Sox. Okay? Go to Toronto. You can't go. Back to AAA. Out of sight, out of mind. Jaron Duran has potentially cost himself a spot on the big league roster because of his decision to not get vaccinated. And I really do mean it when I say it. I do not care at this point that those players are not vaccinated. I, I, I am, I'm just over it to the point where I'm not going to judge them. Maybe I would have judged them four months ago. Maybe I would have judged the person, you know, my next door neighbor or whoever six months ago. I'm not judging these guys. I am just surprised that these two guys with so much to lose are willing to lose it over this. Tanner Houck lost a rotation spot and may lose this new role. I doubt it, but it's possible. Jaron Duran is fighting to stay in the big leagues. And now he has made it easy for this team to keep Rob Ref Snyder and not him. The Red Sox will handle this. The Red Sox will handle this. But how they handle this very easily could come at the expense of both of these players, but especially Duran. I asked Tom Karen about Hauk yesterday not being vaccinated before we knew the Duran news. Guys, can we just get the end of that segment here, the end of that comment from TC? For guys who say I'll do anything to win, that anything except that, apparently. I think that's interesting. Can we hear it one more time? Just one more time, guys. All right, thank you. For guys who say I'll do anything to win, that anything except that, apparently. Okay, forget helping the team for a second, right? I always hear that guy's goal is to get to the big leagues, and once they get there, they want to stay. I'll do anything to get to the big leagues and stay there. I don't want to go back to AAA. In Duran's case, he's not willing to do everything to get to the big leagues and stay. And if he can live with that, then so can I. If he can live with that, so can I. I I couldn't, though. That's just me. You've gotten to the big leagues. You want to make an impression. You want to be there forever and never go back to riding the AAA buses. I, I couldn't. I, I, I would not be able to do what he's doing because this thing that he's not willing to do may literally cost him a roster spot here in a week. And then I will say, let's hear. Did you see what Duran said about this whole thing when he was talking to the media? Because what he said was laughable. This is a quote. Obviously, I want to be in the lineup every day, but it's just a personal decision that I'm still thinking about with my family and friends and everybody, end quote. Jaron Duran, I'm not going to judge you for not being vaccinated. I'm going to judge you for that comment, though. You aren't thinking about this with your family and friends. You've known about the vaccine for 18 months. You've been thinking about it for 18 months. You've had 18 months to decide if you're going to get it. You've had 18 months to talk about it with family and friends, 18 months to do research. You've got team doctors at your disposal. You're just not getting the shot. Just come out and say that then. Just come out and say it. I'm not going to get it right now. I don't feel comfortable. I don't want to. I don't believe in it. Whatever you want to say, just say that. Because after 18 months, you're not talking about it with family and friends. You're just not doing it. You're just not doing it. Just own that, right? 
the team concept, helping the team, isn't enough for you to get it. Helping your career and helping yourself stay in the big leagues, that's not enough for you to get it. You're not. Don't tell me you're thinking about it with family and friends. If that stuff is not enough for you to get it, you're just not getting it. So I won't judge you for not getting the shots. I'm going to judge you for saying that, though. That's for sure. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Phil says, Brady, they're both idiots. Okay, maybe. But I'm just saying, I said, for me, I'm over the judgment of it. I, I, I truly would be fine if I never talked about COVID again or vaccines again. And I certainly don't want to do it at work and at sports. But unfortunately, we have to here. So you want to think they're idiots? They're certainly not helping the team. That's for sure. And they're really not helping themselves. They're not getting paid. They're not getting service time. And in Durant's case, it's probably going to cost him his roster spot. So, I mean, they are hurting themselves and hurting the team. They are perfectly allowed to do what they're doing, though. I'm just surprised that two young players would go that route. Ross says, Unfortunately, if these two don't get vaccinated, they'll be replaced by people who want to play in the big leagues that are vaccinated or are willing to be. I think Hauk is safe in the big leagues. I think he is safe. The question is just, is he now going to get the seventh inning instead of the ninth? Duran, I don't think he's safe. I think the organiza- I think he's made it very easy for the organization to forget about him. I'm going to ask Buster Olney that question. Is he surprised? that these guys won't get vaccinated. He's going to be with me next on DEV. All the insight into everything going on in baseball. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN Baseball Insider and Vermont native, Buster Olney. I'm just about ready to bet the family farm in Vermont. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on this Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox off today after sweeping the Tigers. They get ready for Cleveland this weekend, and so that means we have a full show all the way up until 7 o'clock. And joining me now to talk about those red-hot Red Sox is ESPN MLB insider and Randolph Center Vermont native Buster Olney. Buster, how are you? I'm doing okay, although when you started that sentence, I was wondering if uh, you were going to say we're talk about the Red Heart Guardian. Yeah, the, we, we will get to Cleveland here momentarily, but let's start with the Sox. They sweep the Tigers. They're in the second wild card spot now. They're 29-12 and 12 in their last 41 games. When you look at the Red Sox, do you think they're good or are they just pummeling a soft part of their schedule? I, I think that you can say they're both. Yeah. They're good, and they're pummeling a soft part of the schedule, which is inherent if you're a member of the American League. And you and I have talked about how uh, it's so polarized, where you uh, you have really bad teams like the Tigers, uh, like the Kansas City Royals. Uh, your Mariners are disappointing this year for sure. The Baltimore Orioles are improved, but they're still, you know, even after dramatic improvements, they're on a 71-win pace. So the Red Sox are taking advantage of playing some soft teams, but that's what you need to do. I think the Yankees are doing the same. Toronto's also doing the same. Are you surprised at how polarizing it is? Because I actually thought that coming into this year, 
we were going to see more competitive baseball out of the American League. And I thought Seattle would be better. I thought the Angels would be better. I thought Texas would be better. I thought the Tigers who spent money would be better. Are you surprised that it's shaken out this way where it really is kind of a top half and a bottom half? Yeah, I feel like in the National League, you have more examples of teams that are tanking. Uh, we're in the American League, you're right. Uh, I mean, the Tigers really did step forward, and they signed, spent the money to sign Javi Baez. And late in spring training, I was with the Tigers when they traded for Austin Meadows, and they were hopeful they were going to move forward. I thought, as you did, that the Mariners would build off their success in the second half of last year and take a big step forward, but that, that hasn't happened. And so it'll be really interesting uh, as we get closer to the deadline, like how many teams actually are going to sell? You know, it's not like there are a lot of moves that the Royals and the Tigers and the Mariners do. We might actually see those teams play better down the stretch. The Red Sox go to Toronto next week, and then right before the All Star break, it's uh, All Star break rather. It's 14 games in a row against the Rays and Yankees. So we're going to learn a ton about this team in that time period. It seems like that stretch is where the Red Sox season is going to be made or broken. Does it not? I don't know if I'd agree with that. Uh, and maybe I'm, I'm chastened by, you know, so many examples in the past, like last year when we saw the Braves go into the trade deadline under 500 and all of a sudden <laughs> they get yeah. hot and then they come on like gangbusters. Uh, the Yankees have been unbelievable so far, but they've also basically been injury free in their rotation. You know, will that continue? Uh, will the Blue Jays, you know, will they change? So I, I, I'm, I, I'm kind of taking this season as it comes a little bit more, um, especially after earlier this year declaring that the National League East race was over. Yeah. And then the Braves rolled off 14 straight wins. So it only took me, you know, 35 years <laughs> to learn. Buster only of ESPN joining us as he does every Thursday here on the Brady Farkas show on WDEV. Yeah, the Red Sox go to Cleveland next, and that's that's a big series that maybe we weren't anticipating being big. The Guardians all of a sudden are leading the American League Central. I thought they were retooling, and they were maybe going to trade Jose Ramirez, and here they are in first place. How are they doing this? Yeah, and one of the yeah, – they're an example of a team that really cut their payroll down coming out of the pandemic. Um, you know, what they're paying their entire roster is, is not that far off from what the Mets are paying Max Scherzer. Wow. But what we have seen with the uh, with the Guardians is is that they seem to have clearly adopted a strategy uh, which is very old school, which is to have a bunch of hitters who put the ball in play uh, who don't strike out very much. They have the lowest strikeout rate in baseball. Um, they, have, they hit doubles. They have to be a relatively high batting average. They steal some bases. Uh, and it's interesting because you, you, the, the, the Guardians front office has always been known as one of the best and most progressive. And you wonder if they made some of these adjustments targeting players like Stephen Kwan, their outfielder, who's so good at putting the ball in play, because they know that next year, the rules against the shift might be coming into baseball. And guess who's going to have a leg up on that yeah. if, in fact, that happens? Plus, uh, I, I know Guardians fans uh, I hear from them all the time. They're unhappy you know, trading guys like Francisco Lindor. The fact is, since Terry Francona took over as manager of that team, they are competitive every year. They, I believe they have the, uh, the best record in the American League. Tito took over as manager. He's a difference maker. You know, we were talking about this yesterday, and since we talked about it yesterday, even more came out on it. So the Red Sox go to Toronto after Cleveland. Tanner Houck, who is now your closer, is unvaccinated and can't go. And 
Jaron Duran, who is currently your leadoff hitter and has elite speed, he is unvaccinated, we just found out, and he can't go. Are you surprised that two young players with a lot to lose have made this choice? Yes. Uh, and look, I'm vaccinated and boosted. Uh, I've been confused the whole time because you and I both grew up with the – we were getting vaccinated all the time. You weren't going to school if you weren't vaccinated. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, big picture, you know, that's the perspective. But I would say this. Um, I do wonder if, you know, this might be a case where it's the, sort of the flip side of this very business-like approach that organizations have to their players. And I'll give you an example. Last year, Tanner Houck made five starts for the Red Sox. He got exactly five days of service time for those five starts because the Red Sox front office was very uh, aggressive and saying, okay, we're going to let you be in the big leagues one day to make you start, and then we're going to ship you back down to the minor leagues, making it very clear it's a business relationship. I do think that potentially makes it difficult to appeal to the player, hey, you know, we're all in it for the team. Mm. You know, help out with all the players. <laughs> it's the other side of that. Uh, I don't think you're in a great position to appeal to players to, you know, to help out when you're handling uh, service time like that. What about the player and the obligation to his teammates or the responsibilities to his teammates? If he doesn't want to do it for the front office, look, the Red Sox go to Toronto the last series of the season. So, Hauk and Duran unvaccinated and Chris Sale unvaccinated too, as we know. I mean, if we get to a point where that last series looks like it's really going to matter, I, I would think maybe obligation to your teammates would kick in. Well, and that's where the slippery slope sort of goes, right? Uh, at some point, you know, all of these players individually are, you know, they have careers to maintain. And, you know, and, and, and Duran and his, his conversation with reporters yesterday Talked about a personal choice. I think that is more of a theme now than ever before. Uh, and I don't know if it's because of social media and the feeling of, you know, folks being more comfortable expressing themselves. Maybe it's politics and a reflection of where we are with that. But it definitely is becoming more prevalent where you do see players, even young players who are comfortable, uh, you know, saying, this is the way I am. Uh, when I first started covering baseball, uh, it, you know, it was not uncommon where young players were expected to carry everybody else's uh, equipment. They had the hazing uh, rituals during the course of the season, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They were expected to, you know, be quiet, shut up, sit in different seats. It's just a different culture these days. Buster Olney of ESPN with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. You know, Manny Ramirez was at Fenway the other night, and he got his Red Sox Hall of Fame plaque and threw out the first pitch and was making his way through the broadcast booths. And he said his advice to Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts was to take less money, if necessary, to stay with the Red Sox, and that he wishes wow. he had done the same. He says that money didn't, didn't end up making him happy. What do you think of Manny's wisdom and his appeal? Wow. Uh, well, I would say this. He, he made the decisions for money, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, and it's been interesting to me, you know, seeing the evolution of the relationship between the organization and Manny, because in my time covering baseball, what he did in 2008, uh, where he basically was tanking days and intentionally screwing up and declining to play, it was one of the worst things I've seen covering baseball. So I, I give credit to the folks in the Red Sox front office for – 
uh, turning the other cheek and, and moving on for a player who fans really uh, respected. I, I think Manny's right. I think it's great advice, and it would also be great if Manny at some point were more transparent about exactly what he did that year because it was pretty bad. Buster, uh, on the field, we saw it, we've seen it this week, right? So yesterday, the Red Sox were beating the Tigers, and, and I think it was the sixth inning, and Michael Walker gets the first two guys on, and it's first and third with nobody out. Ordinarily, I would think Alex Cora is coming out to get him. But he leaves Waka in, and Waka ends up getting through the inning scoreless. I think this 13-pitcher rule has already changed the way that Alex Cora manages this team. Relievers asked to do a little bit more. Starters asked to go a little bit deeper. And he's even said, I can't be Captain Hook as quickly. Are you seeing this trend around baseball this week since this rule got put in uh, on Monday? Well, yes and no. You know, Craig Council, uh, the Brewers manager, I think he's one of the five best managers in baseball, uh, told me that in the first week. He said, boy, when we get to that point, it's going to change a lot of what you see. Uh, and it's going to require a little bit more trust. And it just can't be the reflexive new reliever, new reliever call on another guy. That said, you know, we're seeing more than ever in baseball are position players pitching, hmm. which is not a great thing. You know, it used to be that every once in a while in a blowout game, you might see a guy pitch. Now we're actually seeing games where their position players used for both teams. Uh, and that's not necessarily a great thing either. Uh, I, I do hope that it helps baseball continue to uh, trend back towards uh, trying to restore the preeminence of starting pitchers. Buster, I'll get you out of here on this. You may have seen this, but uh, yesterday uh, the Patriots announced that they were bringing back their red uniforms with white helmets for at least one game this season. We haven't seen them since 2012, the Pat Patriot uniforms that you grow up that you grew up watching is there a throwback baseball uniform you want to see brought back into existence I, I don't know about permanently but i love the old pirates uniforms you know the we are family uniforms with those uh those pillbox hats that they used to have and uh if a player did something special in a game they'd, they'd uh you know put the stars on them i thought those were really cool I'm not. I'm not as much of a fan of the old Astros uniforms that everybody talks about. But you know what? I'm really badly colorblind, so maybe I can't see the brilliance of it. The 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 pillbox pirates ones. I'm trying to remember. Were they? They might have had different variations, but were they yellow tops with black bottoms, or were they all black, or did they have both? You're you're, you're going down an avenue that my brain doesn't even uh, okay. register with the colorblindness. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> like I can't even tell you what they're yellow but i i you know it's a lot of black and gold is what my eyes were telling me i'll tell you my best friend is colorblind my best friend in the world i was best man at his wedding and uh <laughs> he um there was a story and uh he was let me see his little brother was playing a kid's soccer game you know everybody's got a jersey where they're you know one team's yellow one team's blue one team's green so his brother was on the red team and they were playing a green team they've been playing for an hour and he finally looks at his mom and goes When's the other team going to show up? Because he couldn't tell the difference between the two. Oh, my God. So. Yeah, I, I must say, you know, I would always, uh, when we play pickup basketball, I'd always lobby for shirts and skins. Yeah. The idea of those colored pennies, yeah. I did not want those. For sure. Buster <laughs> Olney, ESPN MLB Insider. Buster, appreciate you as always. And by the time we talk next week, we will be uh, through the Red Sox, taking on the Guardians and the uh, Blue Jays on the road. And those are two big series. So we'll talk then. That sounds great, Brady. Have fun. Yeah, I will do just that if the Red Sox keep playing like they are. That's Buster Olney of ESPN. 100% true story there 
on my best friend. Yeah, he did not know there was another soccer team there while his little brother was playing. Had no idea. Um, he can't tell blue versus purple or red versus green. So a couple of years ago in the NFL, there was color rush day, right, where the Bills were playing the Jets and the Bills were in all red and the Jets were in all green. He could not tell the two teams apart aside from just like knowing which way one team was going. Uh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> I can't even imagine that or what Buster has gone through. So, uh, you know, tough. The, the Pillbox Pirates. What uniforms would you like to see brought back? We'll talk about that on the other side. Take a couple minutes through the uh, CBS News update. Get your texts in at 802-585-3026. I've got a couple ideas of uniforms I'd like to see again, and then we'll get into the Celtics. It's NFL draft or NBA draft night. That's next on WDEV AM and FM. Six. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. I'm holding court on uniforms real quick. I asked Buster only in honor of Pat Patriot coming back, which old baseball jerseys he'd like to see at least make a handful of appearances. He mentioned the We Are Family Pirates. Uh, I've got a couple that I'd like to see come back. You know, we are seeing, though, a lot of the classics come back already, right? A lot of teams that had the powder blues are bringing them back. We just saw the Cardinals with the powder blues. The Blue Jays have some powder blues. I think the Twins might have some powder blues out there now, too. So we are seeing some of those. I guess if we're going with uniforms we haven't seen in a while, I would love to see the Tigers, who we just brought out again, who we just played for the Red Sox. In the 90s, they had a blue hat with an orange bill that was a tiger walking out of the letter D. That was a fresh hat. The uniform is very similar to what they have now, but I'd like to see that hat brought back. I'd also like to see, we had a vest craze in the 90s, late 90s and 2000s, right? Everybody had vests. Mariners had vests. The Rockies had vests. The Reds had vests. Um, the Rays had vests. I mean, I'm trying to think. It feels like half the league got in on the vest craze. Toronto had vests. Um, Milwaukee might have had vests. I'd like to see some of the vests come back. Like the Reds had great vests. Like you go look at like a Griffey highlight with the Reds, and he's got the the white top with like the black undershirt. That was great. There was also the gray top with the black undershirt there, and the Reds had the two-toned hat. So I'd be down with a couple of uh, the vest teams coming back at it there. I'm more into hats than I am actual uniforms, but I'd uh, be into the uh, the vest coming back. All right. I need a little help here from the text line on this one. 802-585-3026. I have an interesting question for the room on this because I caught some grief the other day on Twitter. And the question is this. I'd like to know, when do you consider it okay to call someone a hometown person. And the reason why I ask is because I called Keegan Bradley a hometown guy. He grew up in Woodstock, Vermont, went to high school in Woodstock, Vermont, but did not graduate from high school in Woodstock. He graduated from high school in Massachusetts. So I called Keegan Bradley a hometown guy, and he didn't graduate high school here and hasn't been here now in more than you know, 15, 16 years. Then... There's a top basketball recruit by the name of Taylor Bull Bowen. His family emigrated to this country. They settled in Jericho. He then went to prep school 
in New Hampshire. So he didn't go to high school in Vermont. He wasn't born in Vermont, but he's lived a lot of his life in Vermont. By the way, Taylor Bull Bowen is the number 37 ranked player in the class of 2023. From Jericho, 2023 class, he is the number 37 ranked player. UVM is on his possible list of schools that he might go to. So I called him a hometown guy also. And I caught grief from somebody on Twitter. So my question is, when is when is it allowed to call someone a hometown guy? Is there a rule? Do you have to be born here? Do you have to graduate high school in Vermont? And that makes you eligible to be called a hometown guy. Do you have to live here for a certain number of years? Because like, what are the rules for calling someone a hometown hero, a hometown person, a Vermont native to a degree, like, for me, I thought a lot about this. I think it's appropriate to call both Keegan Bradley and Taylor Bull Bowen hometown guys. I think if you have spent your formative years in Vermont, then it's okay. That's what I'm looking at. If you were born in Vermont and stayed here until you were 14 and then left, I think it's okay to call you a hometown guy. If you moved to Vermont at five years old and then stayed until you were 20, I think that's also okay to call you a hometown guy. If you, I think Vermont can claim you if you have spent your formative years in the Green Mountain State. That That is what I'm looking at. And by the way, Keegan Bradley's official PGA Tour card says Woodstock, Vermont. His Wikipedia page says Woodstock, Vermont. He went to high school through his junior year at Woodstock. So I think that constitutes being okay for us to claim him as a Vermonter. And in Taylor Bull Bowen's case, he's a younger guy, not as well-traveled. He claims Vermont is his home, too. So I, I think I got unnecessary grief for this. Um, but, yeah, formative years. If you spent your formative years in Vermont, I'm calling you a Vermonter. Like, Michaela Schifrin went to high school in Vermont. I don't consider her a Vermonter. She doesn't consider herself a Vermonter either. So like just going to high school in Vermont doesn't really matter to me. It's I think it's about development time in your life. Like I would consider myself a I consider myself a New York native. I didn't move to New York until I was nine, but I lived in New York from nine until you know twenty five for most of the twenty six for most of it all. So you know, I consider myself a New Yorker, despite the fact that I wasn't born there. Uh, absolutely. So there you go. If you have thoughts on that, 802-585-3026. Um, Mark in South Hero is trying to talk to me about the Mariners. <laughs> and he's talking to me, talking about local Vermonters. He's like, how about Cal Raleigh, number 29 on the Mariners? His family's all from Vermont. He needs more local PR. I know that Cal Raleigh's family is from Vermont. Cal Raleigh is not from Vermont himself, though. So he's not a Vermonter. But, yes, all of his family is Vermonters. His father, Todd, and they all went up to it. They all are from Swanton. Went to high school at Missiscoy. Great baseball family. Great local family. Then they moved down south for Todd's baseball career, and he became a college baseball coach. And yet Cal Raleigh homered yesterday for the Mariners, actually. I think it was his ninth home run. Cal Raleigh's still hitting under 200 for the Mariners, but he's got nine homers. And I think that might be the second most homers by a catcher in the American League. Somebody would have to verify that on me, but I know he's got nine homers. He homered yesterday to dead center. He's got a lot of power. So he's not a native Vermonter, but his family is. So they, they fit the Vermont build as well. So, okay. 
802-585-3026. You can get in on that on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. The NBA draft is tonight. The Celtics, as of now, do not have a first-round pick. They're only scheduled to pick right now at uh, number what, 53, I believe. Um, yeah, I think 53. So that's where the Celtics are at right now. Yeah, number 53. That's their only pick in the draft right now. I think the Celtics are in a precarious position. I really, really do. The Celtics are on the precipice of greatness. They are right there. They are close. They obviously need some help in order to get over the hump. But I think you have to find a really delicate balance and navigate a really delicate balance between adding correctly and tweaking just to tweak. Because a lot of the talk already this offseason for the Celtics is everybody wants the Celtics to take a big swing. Bradley Beal is the name that we hear over and over and over again. So everybody's talking about the big fish. Lou Maloney of WEEI in Boston, he said as much this week. Admit, like the Red Sox sometimes make runs and it's sort of like fluky and you're like, now you got to go all in. You're like, well, they still got a ton of question marks. This, this run wasn't fluky. Like, as a matter of fact, they, they won in spite of themselves at times, right, with the way they turned the ball over. you got to go all in. You're Wick Grossbeck. you got to be, okay, waiving some of these trade exceptions, going into that luxury tax in a big way. People are focused on the big name. They're focused on the huge money being spent. I am not. I am not focused on the big name. I am not focused on big game hunting for the Celtics. I am focused on the Celtics finding the right pieces. This is not an offseason where the Celtics just need to compile talent. They have to find the right pieces because a locker room is not just a compilation of talent. It's a management of egos, a management of roles. The Celtics need someone who can come in or need people who can come in and be part of the Celtics culture. I think they're in a precarious position. Yes, Kevin Durant would be great in a trade and Bradley Beal would be great in a trade. And this guy would be great in signing. And going over the luxury tax by that much would be great. No, not to me. It's not just the biggest names. It is the right names. The Boston Celtics, at this point, have an established culture. They have an established hierarchy. They need to bring in persons or people that fit that identity and will play within that hierarchy. You're not just acquiring a bunch of bucket getters who can score. You've seen what happened in Brooklyn. You've seen what happened with the Lakers. It's not just about spending money or acquiring this big name. You need somebody that can fill a role that this team has specifically. I think this team, as I've told you, needs another big. I think they need a a secondary true point guard, a ball-handling guard. I do not think the Celtics have a laundry list of needs. I think they have very few but really targeted needs. It's like your baseball team that needs a left-handed specialist or your football team that needs a nickel corner. The Celtics' needs are not sexy, and everybody wants them to go after some sexy player. I don't think that's what this team needs to be doing. I wouldn't trade for Bradley Beal. If I were the Celtics, I certainly wouldn't trade Jalen Brown for him, which is what it would probably take. Beal, who's 29 years old, who played just 40 games last year, who played just 60 the year before that. I wouldn't trade Jalen Brown for that. I want guys for the Celtics who can grow with Jalen Brown and grow with 
Jason Tatum. Guys who can play around the foundation that has been set. I don't need them to go out and acquire big game guys who are blowing up the foundation that's been built. I do not want to have to restart the process. I don't want to tear down what we've spent so long building. And Brad Stevens, I think, is on the same page as me. As far as improving, it's the same old deal. Draft, develop, and deals. You just look for things that make the most sense within your group. I think that we have a little bit of a, you know, we have to, to walk a fine line a little bit. I think, it's, I think teams are fragile. I think the way that teams work together and operate together are fragile. And I think your identity as a team, when you find one that's successful, which we did this year on the defensive end of the floor, and when we were at our best sharing the ball offensively, those things are fragile. And Yeah, Brad Stevens gets it. He is right. I mentioned a delicate balance. I mentioned a precarious spot. He knows it, and I'm glad to hear that. So the Lou Merlonis of the world, they want you to go all in, but Brad Stevens knows it is not that simple, right? That is not the 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 that is not the answer for this team. He said the team is fragile, the team has an identity. You do not want to take away from the identity that you have built. That is why I mention a guy like Ricky Rubio, a guy who can come in and supplement what is already here, a guy who is a nice add-on. Now Rubio was hurt last year playing for Cleveland, then got traded to Indiana. He's got a torn ACL. Don't know exactly when he'll be back, but he's a guy, as I've said, that I would want. I don't need a big name. I need the right name. The culture has been built. It is time to add to it, not just take away from it or not subtract from it. The right piece. Look, I'm with all of you out there. The Celtics can't just stand pat and expect everything to be easy, right? They can't just bring back the exact same team and expect they're going to go win the finals. They do need to make moves, but those moves need to be targeted moves that are controlled and bring in the right pieces. And along the lines, by the way, of not taking away from what the Celtics have built, I wouldn't trade Marcus Smart. I wouldn't trade Jalen Brown. I wouldn't trade Marcus Smart. I mean it when I say it. Smaller, targeted moves. Taking away Marcus Smart is a big piece to subtract, and I see people calling for that, like Mark Dendero, our friend over at WEEI in Boston. That's the first thing that I look at. That's the first move that I entertain making. You know, that to be selling high. Marcus yeah. Smart was just the defensive player of the year. I think that Lonzo Ball would be exactly what this team needs. I think he's a guy that has a high IQ. He's a distributor. He can see the floor. He's 6'6", so he's not useless defensively. And he can heat up and occasionally and hit a shot. I would love that deal as much as I love Marcus Smart and what he brings to the Celtics and the intangibles. I just think you can replace some of those intangibles. No, 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 no. That is not the move as far as I am concerned. Okay, That is not the move. I like Lonzo Ball a lot. I really do. Okay, I think Lonzo Ball is a good player. Now, he's got the knee issue, which is a serious issue over there in Chicago. I like Lonzo Ball. I would love to have him in Boston. I think his game would be perfect for the Celtics, but not at the expense of Marcus Smart. Not at the expense of the defensive leader of your team. Not 
at the expense of a guy who can also score, not at the expense of a guy who is a leader, who holds people accountable, who knows the locker room, who knows the personalities, and has spent years cultivating his voice on this team. I am not giving that away. Lonzo Ball, I believe, is is the exact kind of player the Celtics need, but I am not trading that player, or I'm not trading for that player. I am not trading Marcus Smart for that player. He's too valuable. He's a guy I need in the fold. I got to trust that I can find that kind of player on the free agent market, like a Ricky Rubio. I can explore Tyus Jones. You know, we've had Alfred Payton mentioned here on the text line before. Marcus Smart is too valuable. Again, I mean it when I say it. The Celtics have a core. The Celtics have a nucleus. The Celtics have an identity. The Celtics have a culture. It is time to add to that culture, not subtract to that culture. And trading away Jalen Brown or Marcus Smart is subtracting from that culture. I want to win the NBA Finals too, but you've got to go out and resist the urge to make a big splashy move and make the right one. Again, the team that needs a left-handed reliever, the team that needs the nickel corner, the team that needs a better punter, these are the moves the Celtics need. Their players will ascend and continue to get better. Tatum and Brown will be better next year than they were this year. So that will be an internal improvement. Now go out and make some small external improvements. Uh, For what it's worth, by the way, former Celtics star Antoine Walker, he also would not trade Marcus Smart. That would be terrible. You You don't trade Marcus Smart. It's too valuable to a team. And you also went to the NBA Finals with Marcus Smart starting at point guard. So he definitely can play some point guard. Um, you could do with Mark. You could do a lot of different things with Mark. He doesn't have to start. He could be a six man. He could, uh, you know, he can guard one through four. It's, it's, he does too much for your team. I totally agree. I totally agree. Marcus Smart does too much for your team, and I am not subtracting from that. The draft is tonight. We'll see what happens. Again, Celtics have pick number 53, Adam Kaufman of WBZ News Radio in Boston, our guy, he kind of put out on social media what he's hearing right now. He's hearing the Celtics are eyeing a trade back into the back half of the first round. So, you know, 16 to to 30 plus, um, I'd be fine with that. You know, I would be fine with that. He's also hearing that Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, and Aaron Neesmith are in play in trade talks and that he has the Celtics have interest in trading for Luke Kennard of the Clippers. I, I'd be fine with any of that. If the Celtics want to trade back into the first round, that's great. If the Celtics want to trade Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, or, or uh, Aaron Neesmith, I'd be fine with that too. I like, I like Pritchard, and I like Grant Williams. I do not think they are necessities on this roster. They are not taking away from the culture. They are the guys that are there to try to add on to the culture. So if I can upgrade in those spots, then I'm all for that. If this team trades Grant Williams tonight and gets an upgrade, then I'm good with it. Nice piece. Team likes him, has had some moments. I can do without him. That's for sure. Um, And by the way, Luke Kennard averaged 12 points a game last year, and he has made 45% of his threes last year He's uh, he made a league best forty five percent of his threes last year. So there. And by the way, remember with Grant Williams. Before everyone gets mad at me about being willing to trade him, he's going to need a 
look, he's going to be headed for free agency in a couple of years. This was his year three, right? He's going to be headed for like $50 million in contracts over the next couple of years. I don't need to pay Grant Williams $50 million. If I can trade him and get an upgrade, especially an upgrade that's better but cheaper, I'll be all for that as well. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. couple of texts on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. I do. Somebody did uh, check my work here on this, that uh, Cal Raleigh is tied right now for the most catcher home runs in the American League at nine, so thank you there. And uh, Peter says, Brady, I agree with your definition of a local Vermonter. The formative years count most. And by the way, I'd like to see the classic Reds jerseys from the 70s. Uh, that's the one without the buttons. It was like the T-shirt jersey there, where right? it was just kind of the V-neck, like Bench, Rose, and uh, Morgan. So, um, yeah, those are good uniforms. I like the Reds vest, though, better. The stirrups, though, are a classic look on those Reds jerseys. So, uh, here we go. We do this every single day, by the way. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones. Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. He's got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB-AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It begins at just $20 a month. So if you want that, $20 a month. If you want one free car wash, just text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. Red Sox swept the Tigers, finished that off yesterday. We know that. But we heard earlier this week, I think on Monday night, Alex Cora was talking about David Ortiz and Manny Ramirez and how they were around the park at Fenway and they were sitting in the dugout, et cetera. And what Alex Cora said has been stuck in my mind ever since that day. Yeah, I mean, when the big boy, when the big guy is here, it's awesome. The players love it. You know, he goes to the cage and he talks to them. Um, you know, some guys didn't, I haven't seen Manny in a while. And to, to meet him, I know it means a lot. And uh, the more the better. You know, uh, I'm a big believer that those guys around here, they, 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 they bring a lot to the equation. I grew up in an organization that, you always had somebody, you know, with the Dodgers, you know, Maury Wills and Garvey and all these guys. You know, it's like you learn from them and you keep getting better. I got to say, I, I just love that for a few different reasons. It seems innocuous enough, but I love that the Red Sox have been around long enough and have been successful enough, number one, to have these kind of legends of the sport. I love they've been good enough to make these kind of people or to have these kind of people in the Red Sox lineage. But even more importantly, I love that Alex Cora recognizes the importance of Red Sox legends and recognizes the importance of giving them access to the current team and wanting them around. I think that that's really special because I think that sometimes, not all the time, but I think sometimes teams try to distance themselves from the past. I think teams try to forge a new identity or a new wave or pitch or play at a new age I think they're so focused on the present that they don't want the past around as a constant reminder I'm happy that Alex Cora doesn't push the past away I'm happy that he embraces it now it's probably different because he played here it's also different because of where he grew up and you know he said there he played for the Dodgers and he grew up you know seeing guys come around so he's just kind of used to it but I don't think that every team does that I don't think 
that every team does that. And I think it is a great thing. I think it's a cool thing for the fans to see these legends of your organization around. And I think it's good for the players. As Alex said, if you can get Rafael Devers talking to David Ortiz, I think that's a good deal. If you can get uh, Jaron Duran talking to Manny Ramirez about hitting, Franchi Cordero talking to Manny about hitting, I, I think that's a good thing. I think access and the embracing of the past is an important thing, and Alex Cora recognizes it, and I appreciate that as well. By the way, speaking of Manny, talking with guys, did you hear what Manny said um, the other day? Manny said that I read this in The Athletic. It was in The Athletic that Manny said his advice for Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts is to stay in Boston and take less money if it's necessary. Manny says that he regrets not staying in Boston and he would he wishes he would have stayed here for less money. Now, Manny did a lot of things in that 2008 season when he left that were regretful, right? Not playing, refusing pinch hitting assignments, etc. I've even heard some rumors of some really other bad stuff behind the scenes that Manny did to get out of Boston. But I do appreciate Manny here as he's gotten older, maybe a little wiser, saying, look, I realize that money didn't make me happy. Right, Money did not make me happy. I wish I had stayed, and I appreciate him passing that message along. I don't know that it's going to make any difference to Bogart's endeavors, but I appreciate that he's here and he's passing that sentiment out. Like, hey, I've done the thing where you just go for the big payday, and I've done the thing to just get out of town, and I wish I hadn't done that. How Manny left 14 years ago was really bad. Buster Hill only even said, I wish he'd come clean with it all because it was really bad. It sounds horrible, the, the lengths that Manny went to to get out of Boston and get to the Dodgers. Um, I appreciate people who grow. I appreciate people who better themselves. And I appreciate people who recognize mistakes. And if Manny Ramirez believes that he made a mistake leaving Boston and chasing the money, I appreciate that he's passing that along. And just maybe Devers or Bogarts will hear him. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. .com. All right, NBA draft is tonight. I don't think that Ryan Davis or Ben Shungu are going to get drafted tonight. I do not think that. But which player has a better chance of sticking in the NBA if they get a look? I'll tell you who I think and who Coach Brennan thinks as well. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Brady Farkas Show brought to you by ProDriver Training. That's ProDriver Training online at ProDriverCDL.com. They are Vermont's premier truck driver training school. And again, they can help you with your class A CDL, your class B CDL, can help you with passenger and advanced skills training as well. Book work and real life application of said book work. So again, could be the next great step in your professional journey, ProDriverCDL.com. I don't believe that UVM stars Ben Shungu and Ryan Davis will get drafted tonight. I do not believe either one is going to get drafted. But that said, I do think that they deserve an NBA look, right? A couple of workouts, maybe a summer league run. I believe that they deserve NBA looks. And as we evaluate their NBA opportunities, I got to tell you, I think Ben Shungu has a better chance to make it in the NBA than Ryan Davis. We've never heard a UVM player get his name called in the NBA draft. I don't think it happens tonight, but I've said from the start, 
Both guys deserve a look. And if we're going off that premise, Shungu, I believe, has the better chance of making it. Despite Ryan Davis being the America East player of the year twice, Shungu, I believe, has the better NBA profile. Shungu is quick. Shungu can handle the ball. He shot 40% from three this year. He shot 52% from the floor this year. And he can play defense. Ben Shungu has skills that translate and has an overall athleticism, especially defensively, that would give him a shot. It's not easy. It's a long shot. But if you're asking me which UVM player has a better chance of maybe making some noise in the NBA circuit this summer, it would be Ben Shungu. And he's great. Look, Ben Shungu is strong. He is fast. He is physical. And he's athletic. And he's hungry. Those traits all help. Offensively, look, he's undersized, right? It'd It'd be a harder time for him. But he can shoot. He can certainly knock down open shots. So his capability offensively, his overall physical strength, and his quickness and his toughness, I think, gives him a chance. Ryan Davis, on the other hand, unfortunately for him, is your classic tweener. And that is really not the spot that you want to be in. Tweener meaning he's in between positions. He doesn't really have one at the NBA level, and that's a problem. Ryan Davis is six foot eight. That's very big for the America East. That is undersized for certain things in the NBA. Like at six eight, you're not a big man, obviously, right? Guys in the NBA are six ten, seven foot, seven two. So Ryan Davis at six eight is not playing in the post. So that is out, right? So then is he a six eight wing player? No. Ryan Davis is not athletic enough to be a 6'8 wing player. Look around the NBA and look at the other guys that are 6'8 and tell me if Ryan Davis matches up athletically. Do you know who else is 6'8 in the NBA? Jason Tatum is 6'8. Paul George is 6'8. Brandon Ingram is 6'8. Ryan Davis cannot hold a candle to those guys athletically. He's not that kind of wing player, so he's not a post player. He's not the athletic wing like those guys are who's long and quick. And he's not a knockdown shooter. So I don't think that Ryan Davis has a true position in the NBA. Ryan, I want to make this very clear. Ryan Davis is a very good basketball player. And Ryan Davis is probably a top 12 player in UVM history. He's a two-time American East player of the year for a reason. He helped carry the team at various points over the last two years for a reason. He is that good. He will play professionally. He will be good professionally. I think he'll play in Europe for for five, ten years if he wants to. Ryan Davis is a pro player. But if you're asking me to evaluate who has the better chance, they both have small chances. Who has the better chance of making it at the NBA level? Well, that would be Ben Shunk. Davis is two in between positions, and Chungu, at least, he's got the body frame to at least, you know, potentially be an NBA guard. Like, Anthony Lamb, I thought was a better player than Ryan Davis. Lamb is 6'6, and he's having a really hard time sticking. Spent most of his time in the G League. I just don't think Davis really has a shot. But again, I do think both players play in Europe. I asked 
Tom Brennan about this very question. I said, hey, I think Benny's got a better chance to make it. What do you think? Here's what Coach Brennan told me earlier this week. Do we have uh, uh, There it is. And I'll tell you why. Because, uh, because Let's see, start it again. We missed the very beginning of it. Okay, so I said Benny's the, the, the more likely NBA player. I agree with that. And I'll tell you why. Because, uh, because Benny, uh, Ken, uh, is a just a lockdown defender. And uh, I, I see him in the uh, in the young Peyton mold, you know. Uh, that kid was in the G League for five years. He signed with four or five different NBA teams. Uh, but he finally stuck with the Warriors. Uh, and the main reason being is that he's such a tenacious defender and such a good uh, muckraker in the middle of the defense. And that is exactly what Benny does. I mean, So there you go. That was Coach Brennan agreeing with me, talking about Ben Chungu having a better opportunity. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Trey Bell Haynes got a summer league look a couple of years ago. He played with uh, Milwaukee in the summer league. I think Benny could get a look. I think Davis deserves to be in somebody's camp. Whether that means he's on someone's summer league roster, that that I don't know if it's going to happen. But I believe they both deserve NBA looks. I think Benny's got the better chance to stick. Uh, the crew over at NBC5 um, had a chance to talk with Shungu today. I know that this interview is going to air on their news, probably happening you know, right now in the 6 o'clock news. So let's uh, – I've got a snippet of it that they put out on social media. Here is Shungu talking about the draft and how he's not really focused on it, et cetera. Mm, let's see. that. Uh, uh, let's see. We got a better audio. All right, there you go. So, Benny talking about Fred Van Vliet as an undrafted guy who's made an impact in the NBA. That's right, Fred Van Vliet of the Toronto Raptors, a world champion, Fred Van Vliet. And Fred Van Vliet, very good for the Toronto Raptors. Well, he's not like just a a throw-in guy or whatever. Like, Fred Van Vliet is a guy who starts, a guy who can go for 20, and a guy who, you know, the Raptors are a team that, you know, after Kawhi Leonard left and Kyle Lowry, we thought they were going to disintegrate, and here they are. I mean, the Celtics were battling it out with the Raptors for a lot of the year, jockeying for playoff positions. So Fred Van Vliet has earned himself not only playing time recognition in a ring, gotten himself some good contract money as well. So uh, NBA draft tonight. I I would love nothing more than to see Benny or Davis hear their name called. I would love that. I, I'm not delusional. I, it's not going to. Right? Lamb didn't get drafted. Trayvill Haynes didn't get drafted. If they couldn't get drafted out of a better America East with, I would say, better resumes, if they couldn't get drafted, then Davis and Shungu aren't going to get drafted either. And by all accounts, this is a pretty good draft, too. This is a pretty deep draft. And so I don't think it's going to happen for them. But, you know, watch here in the next couple of days. To see what happens. And and Benny's going to be extra fun to follow, being that he is a local kid. Being that Ben Shungu is from South Burlington, went to Rice Memorial. Ben Shungu, we talk about hometown heroes. Ben Shungu's a hometown hero. I am rooting for him like crazy. I don't care that it sounds biased. I'm rooting for Ben Shungu like crazy. I'm rooting for Ryan Davis too, but I'm really rooting for Ben Shungu. He is everything that you want a catamount to stand for. He's everything that you want a Vermonter to stand for good kid, good family, by all accounts that I know of, at least good family, good in school works his tail off. And the times I've spoken to him, he's always been very, very good as well. So uh, Ben Shungu tonight, 
we'll see what happens, and then we'll move forward and uh, kind of take you through the rest of the NBA offseason and see if Ben Chungu is a part of it. I know that everybody here is rooting for it. Um, okay. We don't have this audio yet because we just did the interview. Um, you know what? There is a mild chance we can pull it up here on the fly, but Buster Olney was talking to us earlier today. We talked with Buster about the vaccination issue for Tanner Houck and for Jaron Duran. And I asked Buster if he is surprised that young players like Houck and like Duran elected to not get vaccinated, knowing they have a lot to lose. Can we? Is this it? Well, and that's where the slippery... Okay, it's the one before that. So here's Buster on that. It's an interesting premise. Yes. Uh, and look, I'm vaccinated and boosted. Um, I've been confused the whole time because you and I both grew up with the... We were getting vaccinated all the time. You weren't going to school if you weren't vaccinated. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, big picture, you know, that's the perspective. But I would say this. Um, I do wonder if, you know, this might be a case where it's the, sort of the flip side of this very business-like approach that organizations have to their players. And I'll give you an example. Last year, Tanner Houck made five starts for the Red Sox. He got exactly five days of service time for those five starts because the Red Sox front office was very uh, aggressive and saying, okay, we're going to let you be in the big leagues one day to make you start, and then we're going to ship you back down to the minor leagues, making it very clear it's a business relationship. I do think that potentially makes it difficult to appeal to the player, hey, you know, we're all in it for the team. Very, very interesting. I agree with a lot of what Buster said, actually. I do believe that players earlier and earlier in their career are being told and shown that this is a business and that it's going to be treated as such. The team looks at them as assets. The team does not always look at them as people. The team looks about as, looks out as what is best for us and not necessarily what is best for you. I do believe it's hard for teams to sell players that we're all in this together. Right When management feels that way, it's hard to sell that message. If they feel it's a business, then we're going to also. So I agree with Buster that it's a hypocritical message to say that we're all in it together and we're all pulling in the same direction, which management clearly is just doing what best suits its needs. Totally agree with that. That said, and I do believe that Hauk could be ticked off, right? Like Hauk is looking at it maybe spitefully, like, hey, you did this to me last year, didn't let me get enough service time, didn't keep me around here. He might be looking at it spitefully, like, well, look, if you're not going to take care of me, I'm not taking care of you. That might be the case for Hauk. What is the case for Duran then? I don't know. What is the case for Jaron Duran then? Because he hasn't been around enough to see that it's a business. He hasn't been screwed in any way. So I believe Buster's right that guys may view it differently than they used to now, where if you're about business, then I'm about business. And I can make a decision that's best for me personally if that's what you're going to do. And how might be rubbed the wrong way? Duran, I can't figure out. All I can think about is that the Red Sox are going to miss their closer and their leadoff hitter when they go to Toronto next week. Brady Farkas show on DEV. Remember earlier in the week when Jake Crane, we talked about him, he said Jason Tatum was not a superstar and that was fake news. Well, I called him out on it. I caught up with him this morning and uh, he and I had it out a little bit more. You'll hear part of that. That's next on DEV.
Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV. Remember earlier in the week, Jake Crane, who is a sports media personality over at the uh, Crane and Company show, it's through the Daily Wire. He actually used to work with Colin Cowherd's podcast company, so he's gotten around here, he's gotten pretty big. He had a video and said that Jason Tatum being a superstar was fake news and that Jalen Brown was the real alpha on the Celtics. Well, I called Jake Crane out on the show, and Jake Crane called me out on Twitter and said, bring me on to discuss it. So, okay, Jake Crane and I spoke today. Here's a part of our conversation. Why did I ask him? I said, hey, why do you feel like Tatum's not the guy? Uh, you know, I first off want to say at, at no point do I think Jason Tatum is a bad basketball player. Uh, I think he's a really good basketball player. He can obviously ball. We've seen the ceiling when he's had big games. But to me, I mean, you can talk about the statistics, the 100 turnovers in a postseason and all that stuff. I think you get a little lost in the weeds doing that. What I looked at is when it came down to it, especially in the finals. I mean, we can talk about, you know, the, the, the conference finals and all that stuff. But in the finals, when it really mattered, when that core of Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who had missed it three times before, were there, and they needed him to bend down to the ground and grab the bag, he did it. And Jalen was the one to me when it came down to it, grabbed the ball and said, that's fine, I'll do it. You saw when they got down in that last game, what did Jalen Brown start to do? He started demanding the ball. He started playing downhill. He started bullying the Warriors, which I think he should have done more of. But it's one thing, Brady, to miss shots. I totally get that. You have games, even in big games, where the shots aren't falling. You've got to find other ways to help. What I saw from Jason Tatum, especially in that last game, was that he was turning it down. There's a difference in between missing shots and turning it down. Every time he'd see Andrew Wiggins, he couldn't pass the ball fast enough. On the other hand, when Jalen Brown got it in those moments, he took it to the rack, good, bad, or indifferent. His ankle gets hurt. He comes back to next possession, hits a big three to keep him in the game. Hell, I could make the argument that Al Horford, had more dog in him that last game than Jason Tatum. When you needed Jason Tatum the most, he vanished. He totally vanished. So I'm not defending Jason Tatum's overall finals performance, but I'm asking you, are you basing all this on one game or six oh, no. games? Because I'm basing it on five years. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been teammates together for five years. Jason Tatum has ascended his scoring average points per game every single year. Jalen Brown hasn't. You look in the playoffs alone, Jason Tatum outscored Jalen Brown in 16 of the 24 games, including scoring 46 on the road in Milwaukee against the defending champs down three games to two. That looks like a guy who's able and willing to turn it up. Now, he did not play well for every game in the finals. I'm with you on that. But to sit here and say that that that, that experience makes Jalen Brown the leader of this team offensively, I'm not buying that, Jake. Well, I, I think Jason Tatum took a hell of a lot more shots than Jalen Brown did, did too. It's a lot easier. Forty-six is forty-six. Yeah, but well, that's one game. You said you're not basing it off one game, correct? So we're going, twenty-four we're gonna, games in the playoffs. Yeah, he outscored him sixteen gonna, times. If, if we're going to say don't isolate negativity on Jason Tatum for one game, we can't isolate positivity either. My 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 point isn't that Jason Tatum isn't a really good basketball. Player. I love. The, the core that the Celtics have, the turnovers is what got him in the end. I think me and you both agree on that. When you turn the ball over at that rate, it's going to be hard to beat anybody. But when you got to the top of the mountain, I'm not talking about year three. I'm not talking about year two. I'm not talking about the Eastern Conference Finals. In this country, our superstars are judged on what you do in the finals, in the Super Bowl, in the World Series. They're not judged on how you did in the first round of the playoffs. They're not judged on what you did during the regular season. And when Boston needed this man the most, the superstar, the anointed one, Jason Tatum, who, again, is a really good basketball player, he put on his invisibility cloak, 
and you couldn't find him. Jalen Brown, on the other hand, was taking the shots and making the shots and playing downhill. He wasn't getting the ball, passing it off and running and hiding. Jason Tatum didn't have a point going into the fourth quarter in the second half of game six at home. At home. You can say what you can you can say what you want about the regular season and this Boston fans, and I think they should judge you, and I think you know this, Brady, on what you do when you get to the top of the mountain. And Jason Tatum vanished. That's what I'm saying to me, a superstar. And I don't use superstar as as free-flowingly as some people do. I think that term gets thrown around way, way, way too much, especially in the NBA. But Jason Tatum, I hold to a very, very high standard with what he's done, and he didn't come through. I had more faith in Jalen Brown to come through than I did in Jason Tatum, and I don't think I'm alone. So Tatum struggles in, in the finals, or at least at parts of the finals, but he gets to the finals and takes the Warriors to six games. Luka doesn't get to the finals, loses in the Western Conference Finals to that same Warriors team in five. Are you taking Luka's superstar status away because of what happened there? I guarantee you you're not going to tell me that Luka is not a superstar. No, Luka is a superstar, but the Celtics and Mavs are two different teams. Who else does Luka have? Who's Luka's Jalen Brown? Jalen Brunson looked pretty darn good. Jalen Brunson was was good every now and then in the ISO game, but they were, he would disappear every other game. Jalen Brown was consistent. I mean, who's their Al Horford? The, it's Luka on the Mavs. If it was just Jason Tatum and, no, and, and the rest of the Mavs roster, I would feel a little bit better because I know he'd have to take the shots. Luka has to take the shots. But Jason Tatum is very fortunate, and that's why the Celtics are so deadly and why they should have, Brady probably won this series in five if they didn't turn the ball over because they had a full team that could contribute. Robert Williams was good enough, in my opinion. Al Horford obviously has found the fountain of youth or a time machine, one or the two. But again, there's more There's more around Jason Tatum than there is around Luka. And I want to say, I want to make sure, J- Jason Tatum is a star. To me, he's not a superstar. And you vanished when everybody needed you the most. That was my part of my conversation with Jay Crane. You can hear us yell at each other more on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's it for us. WDEV at 90 with Jack Donovan is coming up next on Vermont's news station and sports leader, WDEV.